morning. It's Monday, April 22nd, and welcome to the So What Pod. On today's pod, we have a very special guest, Senator Donna Dasko. Senator Dasko was appointed by Prime Minister Trudeau last June, joining the Independent Senators Group. Prior to that, she had a career in polling, serving as senior vice president to polling firm Enveronix, and she was one of the founding members of Equal Voice Canada. She recently commissioned a survey on Canadian perceptions of the Senate, which has been gaining some publicity. More on her later. Before we get into the headlines, I want to plug our Patreon page. Patreon is a platform that allows people like you to support companies like So What Media by becoming a patron. For less than what your morning caffeine kit costs, you'll enable us to grow our team, improve the quality of content we put out, and, most importantly, signal that you believe that more people should give a damn about Canadian affairs. If you enjoy our content and want to support us, head to www.patreon.com slash sowhatmedia. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash sowhatmedia. Now for the headlines. On the UCP winning a majority government in Alberta. On Tuesday, Jason Kenney's United Conservative Party, or UCP, won 63 out of 87 seats in Alberta against incumbent Premier Rachel Notley and her new Democrats and Alberta Party leader Stephen Mandel. Kenney was ushered into office by voters who overwhelmingly supported his promises to scrap the provincial carbon tax, reduce unemployment, and bring more oil to global markets via new pipelines. Federal Minister of the Environment and Climate Change, Catherine McKenna, responded saying the federal carbon tax would be imposed on Alberta if they do away with their own carbon pricing mechanism. The carbon tax that went into effect at the beginning of this month in Ontario, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, and New Brunswick was a backstop measure for provinces that didn't implement their own carbon pricing. This will kick in for Alberta too, if Kenny follows through. He had also promised to, quote, turn off the taps to BC, referring to the pipelines that provide oil to the Pacific province, in response to BC's challenges to the construction of the Trans Mountain Pipeline. Quebec's Premier, Francois Legault, took the opportunity to remind Kenny that there is no appetite for new pipelines in Quebec, and that all parties in Quebec's legislature oppose new pipeline construction. What's more, the UCP leader had pledged to lift the provincial ban on informing parents when their children join gay-straight alliances at school, which will effectively out Alberta teens to their parents. Nearly 40% of homeless Canadian youth belong to the LGBTQ community. Commentators reflected on the 28-day campaign period, calling it one of the most divisive in the province's history. This largely had to do with Kenny's policies and candidates, all of which echoed the division and controversy increasingly characteristic of Western democratic politics. Over the course of the campaign, a handful of UCP candidates were forced to resign due to social media posts that came to light showing expressly xenophobic and white nationalist leanings. Others were roiled in controversy as a result of old material surfacing that highlighted their problematic views on things like conversion therapy, Muslims, immigrants, climate change, and so on. Most stayed on as candidates and will now serve in Alberta's legislature. David Thurton of the CBC put it well, quote, Jason Kenney won big, and the Ottawa-Alberta relationship is about to get unruly. 
A big part of Kenny's campaign centered around pitting Albertans against the federal government in Ottawa and lumping in his predecessor, Rachel Notley, with Justin Trudeau. Rachel Notley was dealt a tough hand when she took office. In 2015, OPEC ramped up global oil production, making oil from OPEC countries cheaper than Canadian crude. At the same time, the U.S., which is Canada's primary oil export market, furthered its plans to become increasingly energy independent. This created the perfect storm, hitting Alberta's economy hard and driving up unemployment. A woman premier of the first ever NDP government in the province was, for many, the reason this was happening. There is now a block of premiers fashioning themselves as anti-Trudeau, with Doug Ford in Ontario and Jason Kenney in Alberta. This will also undoubtedly impact the way the federal conservatives run their campaign in the fall. A Concordia economics professor speaking to the CBC remarked that Jason Kenney, quote, is going to become the mouthpiece for Andrew Scheer and the federal conservatives in a very attractive sort of way to the prairies. He also suggested that Doug Ford will play a similar role in Ontario. The morning after Kenney's win, Prime Minister Trudeau addressed an audience of supporters in Waterloo. Although he didn't reference Alberta's election results specifically, he stressed Canada's responsibilities in the fight against climate change and the economic opportunities these provide. He also emphasized that diversity is a strength. On PEI's election. On the Atlantic side of the country, in a political climate free of scandal, Prince Edward Island will head to the polls tomorrow on Tuesday, April 23rd. The Green Party is poised to make provincial and Canadian history by becoming the first Green government in Canada. PEI has flip-flopped back and forth between Conservative and Liberal governments since Confederation in 1867. Tragedy struck a few days ago when one of the Green candidates, Josh Underhay, and his son lost their lives while canoeing. The Green Party announced they'd be suspending all campaigning activities until the election. Some other parties suspended campaigning on Saturday, and candidates took down their posters in his riding. Voters in Underhay's riding will not be casting ballots on Tuesday. On spring flooding. Over the weekend, extreme levels of spring flooding hit Quebec, New Brunswick, and Ontario. Canadian troops were deployed to help with filling sandbags and carrying out evacuations in western New Brunswick, the Ottawa area, eastern Quebec, and parts of Laval. 600 troops were deployed throughout Quebec alone. One woman died in the Pontiac region of Quebec when she drove into a sinkhole that had opened up as a result of the flooding. Gatineau's mayor warned that, quote, the water is rising and it's going to come fast. On Ontario's funding cuts. On Saturday, the Ford government announced cuts to the province's flood management programs, saying they'd be cutting the budget in half. Conservation Ontario, the organization that oversees the province's flood management, said the impact of the cuts would be felt immediately, particularly in smaller and rural areas. Ford also announced a cut of $1 billion over 10 years to Toronto Public Health, which oversees things like food safety and water quality inspections and immunization controls. Toronto Mayor John Tory condemned the cut to public health saying it was well hidden in the province's recent budget, was done without consultation, and will put lives at risk, particularly those most vulnerable. On Bill 21. 
Montreal Mayor Valerie Plante had to ramp up her security detail recently after violent threats were made against her following her vocal opposition to Quebec's secularism bill. The leader of the opposition in Montreal City Council, Lionel Perez, who wears a kippa and jointly supported the declaration made by City Hall opposing the bill, has received hateful messages, though none which amount to violent threats. Now for our interview. Senator Dasco was appointed to the Senate last June. Her previous experience includes serving as a senior executive in the polling industry and as founding member and national chair of Equal Voice Canada, a nonpartisan organization that promotes the election of more women to public office in Canada across all political parties. She is a fellow at the University of Toronto's Monk School of Global Affairs and Public Policy. Uh, far away. Great, thank you. So the first question is just briefly, what is the role of the Senate in our political system? Well, the Senate of Canada was created at Confederation, and sometimes we, we forget that, uh, but it was created to be the parliamentary chamber of sober second thought, mm-hmm. and it was designed and thought to be a place where the legislation that would be coming from the House of Commons would be considered more deeply and would be reviewed soberly, shall we say, mm-hmm. and and uh, that would be sort of like another check on uh, on the institution of the House of Commons, and uh, so that's the way it was envisioned, and and that mm-hmm. and that is that's why it was created. Mm-hmm. And so, how does one quote unquote become a senator? Well, uh, the the main difference between the House of Commons and the Senate, I would say, is that the Senate is appointed, mm-hmm. and um, it's appointed by the uh, Governor General, but of course, actually uh, chosen by the Prime Minister of the day. So that that's uh, that's the process by which um, people become senators. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are a fixed number of spots in the Senate. So whenever a spot becomes open through retirement or somebody resigning, then that spot is open, and then that's uh, that's open for the for the prime minister to to pick somebody from that province. You have to be a resident of that province. Um, the number of seats are fixed uh, for every province across the country, so it doesn't change like the House of Commons changes with with population. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one of the that's another difference. Um, but that's the appointment process, mm-hmm. and. Um, um, the way this uh, prime minister has done it is he kind of changed the process as to how appointments happen. Mm-hmm. And um, that process now is that Canadians, Canadian citizens can apply to become a senator. That's, uh, that's a completely new process. So that was never in place before. Mm-hmm. So there's actually a procedure whereby you can, you can go and submit your application for the Senate. You have to Obviously, <laughs> jump through a few hoops to uh, to take on that role, but nevertheless, uh, it, it's open to uh, almost all Canadians. You have to live in the province uh, where the seat comes open. You have to be over thirty years old. You have to have there's a, a, a very small property requ- requirement that you need to fulfill, mm-hmm. and then you have to put in an application. So essentially, that's that's the way senators are chosen today. Mm-hmm. And related to this new appointment process, um, well, last June you were appointed to the Senate by the Prime Minister mm-hmm. Justin Trudeau, but you're mm-hmm. an independent senator rather than a yep. liberal one. Can you explain a little bit about what the independent senators group is? 
Yes. Um, one of the things that uh, Prime Minister Trudeau um, articulated after he came into office in 2015 was the idea that um, the Senate should be independent, um, and he felt that that would allow it to fulfill that role of, of review and of review of legislation in a more independent way. The senators would be free of political ties so that, for example, they wouldn't have to toe the line with uh, with uh, government legislation if they were if they were in the caucus of the governing party. So they would be free free to to review the legislation in a in a more independent way. That was the idea he had. He kind of started that off a few years earlier when he became leader of the Liberal Party, and he decided that the the Liberal senators in the Senate at the time we're not going to be sitting as part of the Liberal caucus. So he kind of made them independent. And that was his first step toward creating a more independent Senate. So um, that's, uh, I hope that explains a little bit of what we're, why we were appointed and, and how we look at things. Definitely. Um, you recently commissioned a survey to look at Canadians' perceptions of the Senate when asked what words come to mind when respondents think of the Senate, the top five responses were ineffective slash pointless, waste of money, outdated, corruption slash not trustworthy, and full of old people slash old men. What do you think the Senate can do to change these perceptions? And do you think your colleagues in the Senate are committed to making those changes? Well, first of all, there were a couple of more positive responses in that list, <laughs> if I can just throw that in. We, we did, uh, you know, the poll had a number of questions, and, and that's, that's certainly one that attracted a lot of interest. But mm-hmm. overall, we asked people if they had a positive or negative impression of the Senate. And it is correct that 46% said they had a negative impression, and 37% said they had a positive. So definitely the... Um, negative outweighs the positive. But one of the really interesting findings in the poll was that uh, when that question was asked in a similar survey three years ago, what we find now is that the, the positive impressions have in, increased mm-hmm. quite dramatically. Uh, negative views of the Senate were much worse, considerably worse, even 20 points more mm-hmm. negative uh, three years ago. So when I look at that, I say that that's uh, that's a huge increase, and so um, you know how do we keep that going? Well, I we know from the same survey that Canadians do seem to like the new way of appointing senators, and mm-hmm. that I think is is part of what might have contributed to the increased positive views of senators. Also, you know, there were a number of scandals in the in the period, um, oh, I, around like 2012 to 2015 or, or thereabouts, and those are faded mm-hmm. from memory. So these are the kinds of things that, that will eventually change opinions. But, mm-hmm. you know, it's hard to turn it all around because, you know, there are, there are these views of the Senate. Yeah. I'm laughing as if it's funny, but, you know, uh, it, it is hard to turn the Queen Mary around, shall we mm-hmm. say. It's not mm-hmm. an easy thing to do, and uh, and so it's a work in progress. Mm-hmm. Some of your colleagues have been critical of your decision to conduct the survey in the first place. What's your take on that kind of criticism? 
I don't accept any of the criticism. I my my career is as a pollster, so I mm-hmm. did that for my professional life. I built a a company in the in the polling business from very small firm to a very significant firm, and uh, I think we have to consult Canadians on public policy issues. That's mm-hmm. what polling does. It's not the only way to consult people, but it's most definitely a legitimate way of consulting Canadians. You know, in the Senate, we hear a lot from experts and from interest groups. They come to our committee meetings. They they come to talk about their views of the of the bills uh, and the, the bills that are in front of us. And um, as a pollster, I I often sit there and think, okay, well, like, what does the average person think about these things? Mm-hmm. Uh, what do they have to say about this? The only way you can really do that systematically is through is through survey research, and that's why I think it's so important, so interesting. You know, when we're talking about changes to the Senate, we are talking about a policy issue. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what it is. It's it's a change in the way government does something, mm-hmm. and um, so to me, it it actually is not just something that's interesting to do, but I think it's something that's important to do. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned these results, uh, or you touched on them at least a little bit earlier, but your survey found that 77% of respondents support the new appointment process, with only 3% saying they supported going back to the old Mm -hmm. way of doing it. Um, Mm -hmm. Conservative leader Andrew Scheer has previously signaled his intention to go back to the old way of appointments if he's elected prime minister in the fall. Do you think mm-hmm. this data will encourage him to change his position on this? Well, you know, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I uh, haven't talked to any of the party leaders or political leaders about this. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, I, you know, I honestly, I think you'll have to ask him. I'm, <laughs> I'm not really in a position to say what, what I'm... Uh, what I found was that there's a very strong opinion on the part of Canadians. And, uh, and I think I, I put that out there for people to consider, yeah. uh, to consider that. So, um, uh, how it's going to play in the political realm, I guess we'll see. Yeah. Um, shifting gears slightly, you're one of the women who founded Equal Voice in 2001. What led you to found the organization and how has it grown over the years? Well, you know, we yes, that's right. It seems like quite a few years ago now that we founded Equal Voice, but it, it started with a small group of us who who uh, would run into each other at events here in and around Toronto. And um, many of us used to be part of a previous group trying to get women elected, and so we kind of got together in 2001 said uh, and said, you know, we don't think there's been really much progress. Could we do something? Did anybody care? Or was it just us who cared? And so we decided to throw a big party to see if, if anybody else was interested in what we were interested in. We had a fabulous success at this party. It's held in my house in mm-hmm. 2001. And uh, so that was the kind of the beginning of Equal Voice. We realized after that big party that we had a lot of interest from a lot of women in different parties. We, we spanned the, the spectrum, conservative, liberal, New Democrat women at the time. Mm-hmm. And we spanned the, the, the spectrum of, uh, of parties and, uh, we felt we, we, we could do something. So we kind of set out to do it. And, uh, you know, you don't, you don't have a roadmap for these kinds of things. Uh, so we decided, mm-hmm. 
on strategy and how we would go forward. We decided to set, set up chapters in different provinces that would focus on provincial politics, the national organization would focus on federal, and off we went to, to see what we could do to change the uh, the landscape. And so after all these years, uh, Equal Voice is still thriving. Equal Voice, I was national chair of Equal Voice for four years. Mm-hmm. Equal Voice focuses now a lot on getting young women interested in politics and um, Daughters of the Vote was a really mm-hmm. incredible program that just happened a couple of weeks ago when women, young women from across the country came to Ottawa uh, to visit the House of Commons, at the House of Commons. They also came to the Senate this year, which was great. Mm-hmm. And uh, we hope by those kinds of programs to increase interest in young women and, and make sure that that young women see that politics can be a very rewarding career for them. Mm-hmm. That's really the goal of the pro- programs like that. I'm personally interested in, um, you know, in, in more action on the part of political parties to nominate women, and I think that's the way we're going to move forward mm-hmm. um, in a, in a, you know, in a in a way that's uh, a little faster than what we've seen. Right. And so, again, kind of touching on what you just left off with, and as our final question, um, women make up only 27% of members in the House of Commons. Um, As part of their No Second Chances project, Canada 2020 also mentions how we've had more premiers named John than we've had women premiers. Mm -hmm. Um, First, why are there so few women in Canadian politics still in 2019? Second, while you and I know why we need more women in politics, what do you say to those who think that politics are a man's job? And finally, if there's a woman out there listening to this who's on the fence about running, what's your message to her? Well, first of all, I want women to run. Mm-hmm. Um, I think um, I think uh, politics is important because this is where decisions are made that affect every Canadian in every part of this country. So if those kinds of decisions are being made in our legislatures and parliaments, women must be there. So I encourage women to step forward. But at the same time, you know, we're, if we're asking the question why, women, why there aren't as many women, um, I don't think we can, we should not be blaming women themselves because women have been stepping forward. Most, most definitely more women ran for office in the last federal election that then there were seats in parliament to hold them. Mm-hmm. So, um, so it's not as if women aren't stepping forward, but I think the solution to it rests with the political parties have to take it seriously have to put in place mechanisms within their parties um, that will in, in, that will actually put women in in positions in in, in put them forward as, as nominated candidates. Mm-hmm. And I think they can they can do more than they've done. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay. I want to thank you again, Senator, for taking the time. Hey, thanks, Senator. Have a good weekend. That's it for today's pod. If you enjoyed it, subscribe and spread the word. Also, be sure to support the creation of this content on our Patreon page at patreon.com slash sowhatmedia. Shout out to my brother Cedric for the music you've been hearing. I'll be back again next Monday with more content to help you give a damn about what's happening in Canadian current affairs. If you want to stay up to date in the meantime, follow us on Instagram at sowhatmedia.inc. Have a great week.